that. If you have a Bible, you can go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 is, is where we're going to be. Um, I, I have to tell you, I really, I really, really wanted today's sermon to be like the Easter we missed sermon. That's, that's where I wanted to go. And we're going we're gonna to go there. We're going to get there in a few weeks. Um, I don't know if you saw the governor's office uh, opened up gatherings of 100 or less this, this Friday. So we may even in the next week, stay tuned. If you haven't connected with us, go to our website, click the connect button. It's docommunitywv.com. Click the connect button. We may actually, we've got another service tonight at 6 p.m. as an option, um, but we may drop back to one service. So just kind of stay in tune. You guys, if we drop back to one service, it's going to be this one. So you guys are in the right place at the right time. But I want you to know. Um, but I wanted this to be Easter together. Like we, we were 11 weeks away from this building. And Easter, the central piece of our year together as Jesus followers, was right there in the middle of it. It was the best sermon you were ever going to hear. I can say that. So I wanted to come in here with our first Sunday back and kind of party together. But then this week, we as a country, as a people, saw more chaos erupt across our nation, right? In the first breaths of things reopening since COVID-19 pandemic, we now saw our news feeds and social media filled with peaceful protests and riots and looting and anger and fear and frustration happening all over our nation. And these things began to happen because of this man named George Floyd who was killed when an officer knelt with his knee on his neck for nearly nine minutes. And it feels like, I don't know if you felt this, but it feels like to me one crisis in our world has been replaced or maybe just distracted with another crisis in our country. And, and so there's this, there's this brilliant German theologian, Karl Barth, and, and he said, he, he was in the early 20th century, and he made this statement. He said, we should be preaching with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And then he said this, because I would actually disagree with that statement. I think that we should preach the Bible, right? But he said we should preach with the newspaper in the other hand, but we should always interpret the news through the lens of the Bible. The news is always submitted to the Word of God. And to be really honest, as much as, as much as I wanted today to be Easter, and we're going to get there, the news wasn't good this week. It was hard, and it was painful, and it was confusing, and it still is. If you know my kids, at least most of them are at the age where social media is a big deal. And so as you can imagine, they were seeing lots of images, lots of pictures and videos and stories about the death of George Floyd and the ensuing protests and the riots that have taken place this week. And as we were, as we were driving one day, they were asking a lot of questions. Why did this all happen? Why are people so angry? Why would, would someone not have helped George Floyd? And, and you know what? I didn't have those answers like most of you, I, I don't have those answers. I didn't have any good answers that would suddenly make everything make sense, which I feel like for about 11 weeks we've all been grasping for. In the face of the pandemic, in the face of what's taking place this week, are there any answers? Is there anything that can make this make sense? So because I didn't have answers, I pulled a Jesus on them, and I asked them a question in return. Now, Jesus had the answers, but if you ever notice, he asked questions when people ask questions. And I said, how are you feeling when you see all this? What are you feeling? And one of my kids said, I feel like I want to post something, but I don't know enough. And I said, sweetie, you are wiser than most adults that I see on Facebook. And then my other daughter said something that made me believe we, we had to talk about this today. And she said, it just makes me feel a little bit ashamed of our country right now. And I know you've all heard me say this so many times on the, online the past 11 weeks, but we are in strange times, aren't we? Like, it, it, I heard somebody talking this morning, and they said when they were kids, if you grew up in the 80s like I did, 2020 was like 
man, that's going to be a supernova year. Like, that's the future, right? I don't know if you, and now I'm 40, and I'm like, no, it's not the future, right? But 2020, like, 2020 has lived up to the image that I had for it, right? Like, it has been crazy. Think about the changes that we've seen in recent months. Systems shut down and unhinged. Kids sent home from schools. Us sent home from work. Church put on hold. Shopping and entertainment industries completely undone. And now protests happening in hundreds of cities. Now listen, I don't know how you all are feeling, but if I'm honest, I'm tired. I'm tired of bad news. I'm tired of hard news. I'm really, really tired of politics and politicians. And I'm really, really tired of news media that strives to make us more afraid, more angry, more confused. I feel like the nature of my job has changed about every six hours, what it means to be pastor. And I know you feel that in your vocations. I told our leadership team this week as we met that I'm actually really tired of being responsive. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm tired of trying to respond to whatever the latest chaotic cultural touchpoint seems to be out there. If you had told me 11 weeks ago that I would spend hours listening to others talk about guidelines for cleanliness, I would have said, no, the old law, Deuteronomy, is gone. But here we are. And I believe we're standing in a moment where some things are taking place in our country that we need to talk about, things we need to engage. So welcome back to the first awkward sermon of our time together. I I will say I I don't get too nervous to speak anymore. I've been doing this long enough, almost 20 years, that I've bypassed the nerves. But today, if I'm honest, I'm a little nervous. And I'm nervous because I think we need to talk about these things that are taking place all around us. And at the same time, I want us to try to have these conversations in ways that are different from the ways the rest of our culture is having these conversations. Like, doesn't it just feel like we spend our time today with, like, one of three options? There's three options, I think, today. We, we have conversations with fear, where we're actually just trying to guard our own safety. Or we have conversations with anger, anger and, and in those conversations, we're just trying to prove that we're right. So we're either trying to guard our safety, we're trying to prove that we're right, or we have conversations, I think a lot of times today, with distrust, where what we're trying to do is discredit the other voices around us. And those feel like the only options we have. It feels like our conversations don't happen without those factors. But but here's the thing. I don't think any of those are necessarily the way for the body of Christ to engage, because when I read James 1, and I'm going to try to fire a whole bunch of scripture at you today, James 1, verse 19, the writer of James says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. I would highlight, underline, post, wherever. This is something you can post on social media, right? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Does that sound like 21st century America? And then he says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger does not produce what God desires. It doesn't produce righteousness. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, if I'm as holy as can be, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Jake, I should have kept you up here. That's all it sounds like. If I'm not preaching out of love, that's all it sounds like. So there's this brilliant poet, T.S. Eliot, and he once wrote this line. He said, we had the experience, but we missed the meaning. And he says, an approach to the meaning restores the experience in a different form. See, friends, I want to say this to you. For the past 11 weeks, staying at home, we have had an experience. And in the past two weeks, as we've seen our country erupt with protests and violence and confrontation with some very hard truths, we have had an experience. It has been chaos, hasn't it? 
Like it has just felt like chaos is swirling around us. I, I, haven't you felt like things are, are, are falling apart or there's just this collective anxiety? That's what I felt like I spent most of my time doing was going, I think we're going to be okay. I think we're going to be okay. Jason said that this morning as we were trying to get this sound back. I think we're going to be okay. I was like, yeah, it's like the motto of the past 11 weeks. But it feels like there's chaos around us. And as your pastor, I want to say this to you out of love and truth. I don't want you to have the experience and miss the meaning. I don't want us to just get beyond this without exploring the meaning. Because often, here's the thing. I don't want us to miss what God might say to us right now. Because often when we're disturbed, that's where we find the Holy Spirit at work. I don't know if you recognize that, but the Holy Spirit is an agitator. Romans 2 verse 4, Paul says, do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness? He says, are you taking God's kindness for granted? Then he goes on and he says, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. See, don't miss this. When you feel guilty, have you ever felt guilty for something that's just haunting you, it's just eating at you, and you're just, ah, what am I going to do? That's God actually loving you. That's God being kind to you. I love you so much, I'm going to just mess you up. I'm going to disturb you. So please listen, hear my heart. Today's, for me, for whatever reason, it's a hard message to give, but I believe with all my heart, it's the start of a conversation that we have to engage as the church. Our country is fractured. Our African-American brothers and sisters in Christ are grieving angry, scared, hoping others will stand beside them. And our brothers and sisters in Christ who serve the cause of justice on police forces and in positions of influence and authority are wondering, how do I maintain righteousness and dignity and love while doing a job that's incredibly complex? This is the moment we find ourselves. So it's a hard message. It's a hard conversation. But as uneasy as this might make us, it's a conversation we need to have. Because, friends, we are the community of Christ called to embody love in a way that demonstrates to the rest of our world the hope of good news. Do you recognize there's no other good news out there? We have the good—I know John Krasinski did his thing, but we have better news. You know what I needed to be reminded of this week? And I'm grateful that I have amazing brothers and sisters in Christ who are willing to lovingly remind me of this because I was pretty down. I needed to be reminded that as Christ followers, we have the source of every bit of good news that goes out into the world. I had people around me who encouraged me, don't get swept away in opinions or agendas, but truly focus on the good news. And you know something about good news, about Jesus' good news? It won't ever come from Fox News or CNN or Facebook or Twitter. It's not ever going to come from there. It's going to come from the hope of Christ. You might see glimpses but the news media outlets, our political systems, our secular activist movements, they are never going to give us the good news that our hearts are longing for because the only good news that will fill our hearts truly emanates from Christ. You should amen that, by the way. If you follow Jesus, you should amen that. And because of that, because of the disturbing work of the Holy Spirit and what he does in us, we have the chance in a culture that is absolutely consumed with fear, anger, distrust, we have the chance to embody the good news that it's that <laughs> been 11 weeks for a world that is desperate for hope. Desperate for hope. Carrie and I attended a, a candlelight vigil Friday evening, intended to stand in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. I heard our police chief and my friend, Matt Gregory, offer powerful words of practical steps our Buchanan police are taking. 
I listen to an African-American mother share words of love and hurt. I listen to a high school student who's African-American share her own experiences. And I was moved by that. But I also, I got to tell you, I found myself, by the way, they're working on the air conditioning. It should be fixed next week. I see the, uh, we're dying here. It's 1130. I can only preach for like three, four hours. <laughs> yeah, it's not cold. We're good. But I also found myself walking away from that evening feeling like there was some hope missing because we hadn't really recognized or talked about the true source of justice, sacrificial love, and revolutionary hope. In that vigil, there was solidarity, but the gospel was not there. And by the way, I don't say that as criticism at all. I'm not angry about it because I don't expect those who don't follow Jesus to live like they do. That's not my expectation. But I do believe that if we let these cultural moments pass in the middle of chaos without engaging hard conversations of truth and love, then we will have had the experience and missed the meaning. So as your pastor, I need to lead us in some hard conversation so we can actually embody the hope we are called to. I want to look at a passage of Scripture and try to find some meaning, and I want to try to answer this question for you that I think we've all been asking for 11 weeks. How do we, as followers of Christ, respond in the midst of chaos? How do we do that? What does it mean to be a Jesus follower and have chaos going on all around us? There's this passage in the book of Acts that I've been thinking a lot about this week. It's a passage that gives us this, this catalytic moment in the life of a young church after they see one of their very own leaders killed by religious authorities. It's actually the moment of this young man Stephen's death. See, if you, if you were to read Acts chapter 6, you would see the struggle that was taking place in the early church as they grew. The church was exploding. They had people coming in everywhere. They were, they were seeing people added to their numbers, daily getting saved. And the disciples, those who had originally followed Jesus, said, we're so busy waiting tables, we need some help. We can't be consumed with this. We got we to gotta delegate. I'm so thankful, by the way, for our leadership team, specifically Lisa McCune, working to know the policies, the guidelines. Because I said, I don't want to know. I don't want all that information. I need help. And that's what the church was going through. And so they selected, one of the men they selected was Stephen. And we're told that Stephen was a young man who was full of the Holy Spirit and God's grace and power. See, Stephen was more than an event planner. He was performing miracles and he faced opposition. He, he's set up in this moment of Acts chapter 7, and he's unjustly arrested. And so as he's being arrested, he begins to address the crowd. Now listen, this is a confrontation with unjust authorities. It was, I, I got to tell you this, it was a protest moment. And by the way, if you're uncomfortable with the idea of protest, I hope you understand that you're part of the Protestant church. Some of you are going to get that in a few minutes. Oh, yeah, wait. The majority, maybe you're not. All right, the majority of chapter 7 is Stephen's sermon, his proclamation, and it incenses the authorities. He calls them out for their unjust killing of Jesus, their hypocrisy, their ignorance of what God wants to do within them. Now, look at what happens immediately following his sermon. Here's what uh, chapter 7, verse 54 says. When the members of the Sanhedrin, now let me tell you who the Sanhedrin were. They were the governing body in Jewish towns. They consisted of rabbis, but they had religious authority and political authority completely overlapped. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth. Now, this is a weird phrase that we don't talk about much, the gnashing of teeth, right? When Jesus describes hell and torment, it's gnashing of teeth. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What it really means is that it's complete despair, regret, anger, uncontrollable rage. These authorities are losing their minds in the face of Stephen's sermon. 
Now, let me give away the ending to you. He's going to die. These people are so outraged, they are going to kill him. This is brutality. It's a moment where this young man has upset their religious systems, their authoritative systems, and he's about to be killed for it. I don't know if you were online a couple weeks ago, but I told you, when Jesus heals, systems get messed up. He's always shifting some things. This is absolute cultural chaos in this moment after Stephen's sermon. So Stephen's response is what we're going to focus on, and I think his response answers for us how do we as followers of Jesus respond in the midst of cultural chaos. Look at verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Do you know what the first thing Stephen does in cultural chaos? He lives prophetically. He lives prophetically. Right? Here's what I mean by that. See, prophets were called to tell the truth. They were the ones who confronted whatever was broken in the system and said, this is not right. We can't do it this way. Whether it was the religious system or the Roman Empire, the prophets would stand up to the system and say, I have to tell you the truth. And Stephen does that in this moment. As he's facing down death, he says, look, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You all think you killed him. You didn't. He's still alive. And I got to tell you the truth of that. These religious leaders wanted to maintain the status quo. They wanted a religion that didn't actually cost them anything. See, we are in, and I believe this. By the way, this is the hardest point to swallow that I'm going to give today, so look forward to the rest of the message. But I believe we are in a prophetic moment. I, I believe the black community is prophesying to us about the truth of suffering and injustice, and some of us need to hear it. I believe, and listen, automatically you might start filtering. This is what happens when I say something like that. You filter through those lenses that all of our other cultural conversations are going through. Fear, distrust, anger, politics, news media, whatever it is, you're filtering through that. But remember, we are engaging this out of love as the body of Christ today. That's how we're engaging this. And that's why when we read Amos chapter 5, that the Lord says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Then he goes on, he says, even though you bring me burnt offerings, grain offerings, I won't accept them. Though you bring choice fellowships offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. Get them out of here, God says. Then he says this, but let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing. Do you, do you understand what God is saying here? He's saying, if you're going to gather with me and sing a song that says salvation is here, but you're not going to do the work of justice, don't sing the song. That's what he says. Stop wasting the words. See, we know. Don't filter, filter this through the Christ community, right? God loves justice. You cannot read the Bible without seeing that. I want to say this to you. We don't often have a problem with justice. We all love the idea of justice. What we have a problem with is what justice costs us. We don't have a problem with the idea of justice. We have a problem when it actually costs us something. So here's what happens. When I tell you the black community is and has been prophesying to us about their own suffering and injustice, we wonder what it will cost us. What does it mean for me? I've heard it this week. I've talked with so many who say, what can I do? I don't know what to do. Is racism really here? What, what do we do with this? Do we really know enough about the situations? What if there are more facts we don't know? What if the protests are going too far? Do you know why these questions are our first questions? I'm not saying they're bad questions. They're great questions. Do you know why they're our first questions? 
Because if we ask the real question we should be asking when prophets speak to us, the cost is greater. If we ask the real question, it's going to cost us more. The right question, every time God's prophets speak in Scripture, is how shall we respond? God's telling us the truth. God's telling us the truth. How shall we respond? See, I know this because I feel this. We are being disturbed. When we watch a video of George Floyd being murdered for nine minutes with a knee on his neck, it is disturbing. When we read, I told you this wasn't an Easter sermon, right? When we, t- when we see Ahmaud Arbery being hunted down, shot, and then he's laying on the ground being called racial slurs, we are being disturbed. And so you have responses when you read the scripture. The people that responded to the prophets took one of three routes, typically. One, they would ignore the prophet. They would just say, it's not my problem, not my issue. Or they would silence the prophet. Often the prophets were killed. That's what Jesus says. You killed the prophets. Or the third response is that they would repent. How shall we respond? We should repent. But here's the thing. See, I want to say this to you, too. We are not only being prophesied to, we are also called as prophets. We're not just being prophesied to. We are called to do the work of the prophet. The people of God have always been called. Listen, don't miss this because the body of Christ is failing at this. We have been called to stand outside both the religious institutions and the empire. Can I say to you, stop living in Rome when you belong to the kingdom. You're called to embody the kingdom of God. When it comes to your politics, I want to invite you, see beyond your box. When it comes to your news media, learn beyond your favorite headlines. When it comes to your friend, friends, tell the truth even when it becomes uncomfortable. I don't know all the details of everything that I'm seeing on the news, so I can't answer all those questions for you. What I do know is my black friends in ministry are standing out in places calling out systemic racism and calling violence and looting wrong at the same time, and I want to stand beside them. I want to see the community restored. That's what I want to see. Verse 57, so we live prophetically. As Stephen's getting killed, he's living prophetically. Look at verse 57. At this, they covered their ears. They didn't even want to hear what he had to say. And yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Here's the second way Stephen lives in the midst of chaos. He learns powerlessness. See, he lives prophetically, but he learns to be powerless. And that's the challenge for us, right? In the midst of being prophetic, we must also choose to surrender and be powerless. This is so hard, by the way. I would say this is not the American way. We don't like being powerless. We like chasing our dreams, pursuing everything that we want. We celebrate those. We hold up as heroes those who argue, who convince, who control. We love to be prophetic. We love that. Just ask me. I'll tell you the truth. I'll put it on your Facebook wall. I'll give you 12 links to show you I'm right. Don't we love to be prophetic? But we don't want to give up our rights. See, we love to be right, but we don't love to give up our rights. Jesus, in in Philippians 2, we're told he emptied himself. He gave up every part of what he could have done. He gave up every part of who he was. Do you know what would change our country overnight if we stopped trying to be right If we stopped trying to be right, started trying to listen and said, Jesus, this is yours. Just help me to be powerless in this and see what you want to do. Remember, if you're disturbed, don't don't forget this today. If you're disturbed, it just might be the work of God. 
you're disturbed in this moment, it might be the work of God. It might be his spirit agitating you, stirring you up, causing you discomfort so that someday you'll actually be brave enough to open your hands and say, God, I have no idea how to do anything, but I am all in. I'm all in. Listen, please listen to me in this. If you're looking at the chaos around us, if you're looking at the state of our nation and the protests, the outcries for justice, if you're so disoriented that all you want to do is ostrich your head in the sand and stop hearing about it, stop talking about it, stop thinking about it because you just have no idea what our response should look like, you might just be in the best potential place for God to use you because you're finally realizing you don't know. You don't have control. It's out of your hands. If we learned anything in the pandemic, right, we had no control. When you realize you're powerless, you realize you have no hope but God's power. So we live prophetically. We learn powerlessness. Here's the next part, verse 60. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out. I don't know how he cried this, but he did. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That means he died. So, so here's the third thing. He learned to love passionately. He lived prophetically. He learned to be powerless, and he loved passionately. Even in the face of his oppressors, Stephen prayed for them. He never lost sight of his ability to love his enemies. Martin Luther King said this. He said, nonviolent resistance is a courageous confrontation of evil by the power of love. That's how we win against evil. See, the disgust, listen, the disgust and the hate that we carry right now is out of control. I don't care what side of what aisle. I'm confused even where the aisles are because we're so full of anger. Can I just say to you, stop criticizing the violence and start embodying love. That's how we find victory. Romans 12, listen, I, th this is what has kind of driven me crazy this week. A and I want to I say this again. I don't care about your perspectives right now. I love you enough to tell you the truth. But it doesn't matter what perspective I've heard from. I've heard every side of every argument, and it all is defensive. And all I know is that Romans 12, verse 15, Paul says to us, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And I have a really, really, really good, probably one of my best friends, heroes in ministry in the world, William Mack, who lives and serves in, in Louisville, Kentucky, where Breonna Taylor was shot, and he called me this week emotionally grieving. It's not my job to explain whether he's right or wrong. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Period. It doesn't get any simpler than that. Do you know what Jesus meant there? You know what Paul meant there? He meant what he said. We have to love passionately. Then we see what happens next. This is where I'll, I'll wrap up. On that day, verse, chapter 8, verse 1, on that day, when Stephen was killed, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then verse 3 tells us, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Then verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. One translation says they went everywhere preaching the word. They went everywhere, preaching the word. Where did they go? They went everywhere. Everybody say everywhere. I know, it's hot. Stay with me. This is a later service. Hang in there. Here's the last thing Stephen learns. He lives prophetically. He learns to be powerless. He loves passionately. And finally, he leans hopefully. He leans hopefully into the future. I want to show you a video really quickly of one of the protests this week. Go ahead and click that next one. The only reason we're here is to make sure that you got a voice. That's it. There we go. Don't think for a second. 
Don't think for a second that he represents who these cops are from all over the county and around this nation. We go out there to help people, not do that nonsense. There we go. Where's my man? Right there. Where's the Where's the gentleman? Oh, I think he took off. Yeah, my man. He took off. Pastor Hawkins, I'm just going to tell you. We want to be with y'all for real. So I took my helmet off and laid the batons down. I want to make this a parade, not a protest. You got little ones here, you got dogs, so what's up? So listen, I'm just telling you, these cops love you. That cop over there hugs people, so you tell us what you need to do. I don't know if you saw that video earlier this week, but did you hear what he said? I want to turn this protest into a parade. Do you know what the scripture, you know what Paul tells us? Paul says when Jesus won the victory on the cross that he descended into hell and he took captivity captive. Do you know that verse? He took captivity captive. He won every battle. And then what he did is he took captivity and he said, I'm going to parade my victory over captivity through the rest of the world. The kingdom of God is now full of parades where justice happens, where love happens, where grace is poured out, where enemies learn to love each other. Another video I saw was, was people marching down the street singing Waymaker. Did you see that one? Go look that one up. of God. Listen, this is my message for you today, and I'm going to wrap up. If the people of God do not learn to have these hard conversations that discomfort us, even in a community that is 98% white, then we're leaving it to people who don't have the hope of Jesus to lead the way. We have to embody the gospel of Christ. We have to live this out. What does it mean to live prophetically? What does it mean to be powerless? What does it mean to love passionately? What does it mean to proclaim hope everywhere you go? If you're sitting here and you go, I don't know, I feel like I'm just wrong for being white, then I want to say to you, let's engage the conversation. Don't let my words be the final word. Let's start conversations. Let's learn together. Let's pick a book. When you go out today, there's resources back there that you can grab and hold on to. This is a place for us as a church as we close, I want to show you one more clip. I know there were just too many good videos, but I want you to see this one. This one is the one that I've not watched this week without just emotionally losing it. I want to show you this last video. I understand. Well, we, we worried about this. I understand. Material, but we won't stand up for the I understand. They get chilled on the day. Talk to me. I understand. How do you? I'm tired of the How do you? I'm 45 years old. 45 man. and I'm 31. And I'm tired of seeing the older generation in me. And I right. have too. Come here. Always standing around for a boom by y'all. Ain't nobody coming to protect us. Let me tell you We got to start our own life. I understand. But let me tell you something right here. This 16, 
I know even as a white male, this is really hard. But I want to say to you, we have to pave a better way. In 1859, a man named John Brown crept into Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. Virginia at that time. And he was an abolitionist and he was willing to take a violent path to end the enslavement of African Americans in the U.S., And if you know the story, you know that he and his men captured the city, cut off the railroad bridges, secured an arsenal of weapons. But he was soon surrounded by federal troops. He was arrested, he was tried for treason, and he was hanged. And one writer says, John Brown's raid contributed greatly to the coming of the Civil War to the United States. And without that war, the state of West Virginia would probably never have been created. I'm so proud of that. I love our country. I love, I'm... I invited Matt today, and Angel, I'm so glad you're here. We're going to pray for you for our our police force at the end. But I love those who defend us. But you know what else I learned this week? That when West Virginia became a state, they created something called the Willie Amendment. And the Willie Amendment freed no slaves when we became a state. It actually allowed us to not follow the Emancipation Proclamation. There was no provision for freedom for any slave over 21 years of age. If you were 21 and over, you had to stay a slave. If you were 10 years old or older, you had to stay a slave till you were 21 before you could be freed. If you were under 10, you had to stay till you were, I think, 20. And if you weren't born between June 20th, 1863, when West Virginia became a state, And July 4th, you were going to stay a slave. So I'm really proud of West Virginia, and I really love our country, and I'm really embarrassed by that. And can I tell you, I can hold both of those things in tension because the kingdom of God says, I am a sinner, and I am a wreck, and I've got work to be done in my life, but I have been loved and forgiven freely by the power of grace. And if I put hope in the news media to tell me what's right, 
to tell me good news, if I put hope in some political savior that, friends, is never going to happen, then I'm missing what the kingdom of God is all about. And some of you are so uncomfortable by this conversation, you may, you may never want to come back to this church. I hope you do. I love you so much, and I'd love to take you to coffee. They're opening restaurants up. Let's go get coffee. Because we've got to embody this way. We've got to, we've got to come up with a better way. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite the band to come, and we're going to put our worship on the one who has hope and the answers. Would you stand and pray with us?